Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to another episode of the Man on the Post Weekend Review Podcast. Uh, week two of the Premier League season has gone by and we're going to talk through it. Joining me today, uh, sorry, should point out I'm terrible for doing this with every single podcast. My name's Andy Manson. I'm hosting for this evening. Uh, joining me uh, this evening is Ryan Goodman. Hello. And David Black. Hello. How are we both doing, guys? Good. Uh, enjoy the weekend of football that we got. I had a good time. Yeah, we'll just crack straight on, David, and then we'll, we'll come to you first on this. Uh, to Cardiff City Stadium, where Cardiff and Newcastle played out uh, a 0-0 draw, which uh, still had some incident in it. Um, Kennedy, perhaps lucky not to be sent off for uh, a kick-out at Victor Camarasa. Uh, however, then... Newcastle were reduced to 10 men when Isaac Hayden was sent off for a, for a fairly robust challenge, so I would say. Uh, and then Kennedy, just to top off a, a game in which, uh, i read this statistic somewhere, that he was the first player in the Premier League since 2010 not to complete a single pass in 45 minutes. Uh, then followed it up by missing a penalty in injury time. Um, David, I'll come to you first as, as the Newcastle man. It's it's not been a great month for Newcastle. Obviously, there's real issues between Rafa Benitez and Mike Ashley. Um, clearly not getting the money he's looking for. I think you could probably look at the fact that Jocelyn continues to start up front for Newcastle as a, as a sign of that, maybe. Um, how do you see... One, how did you, you think the game went yesterday? And two, how do you see... The, the kind of early stages of this season playing out? Uh, well, yesterday was awful. Anyone who watched that as a neutral, I can, I can apologise if I were part in that. It was uh, just an awful game of football, really. But it's always going to be like that, I think, like with Cardiff and any sort of mid-table to lower end of the, of the league uh, club going there. The way they play is not exactly conducive to a, a mm-hmm. good game of football. Um, but we just seem a bit undercooked. I don't know what your opinions were as, as sort of neutrals watching, but we don't seem to be at the level we should be for the second game of the season. Uh, it's not being helped. Uh, I mean, Rafa's made the point. Not only did we not spend enough money in, in the, the summer window, we took so long to get the deals done. The likes of Rondon, we chased him all summer. He had a release clause which we wouldn't pay, so we had to try and negotiate a loan, which took an extra month or so to actually pull off, to the point where he, he signed after we played all mm-hmm. our season games. Uh, so he's on the bench waiting to come on for 20 to 30 minutes towards the end, but because of injuries and hidden stupidity, we we used our subs in other areas and therefore Hossley played 90 minutes. And he's a tryer, but he's not a goal scorer. Uh, Ryan, yeah, as as Dave said, it wasn't a, a great spectacle, unfortunately. Uh, Rafa's clearly doing what he can with what he's made available to him. Um, in terms of Cardiff, I've made my opinions fairly known on Neil Warnock. I think he's a good championship manager who you should sack the minute he gets a team promoted to the Premier League. Um, <laughs> Cardiff didn't spend a lot of money either. And truth be told, what they did spend, they spent on players who are perhaps proven at the level below the Premier League. Um, did you see anything yesterday that kind of suggested they, they have a fighting chance of, of staying up? I mean, if, if I can just... I'll start off by saying no, <laughs> flatly. I mean, when your business is done to almost predict what's going to happen in the next season, so you've got players for the, the following season when you're in the championship yeah. again, it, it's not a good sign. Um, they, in a game like that, where you, you, you've got an extra man for a significant 
ish period of time as well. You'd expect a bit more f- fight or a bit a bit more to the game. And the fact that, that they still gave a penalty, I mean, they're lucky to walk away with a point at the end of the day. Newcastle should have had the three points. Kennedy should have scored. So it, it's worrying for them that yeah, okay, you know, Newcastle have been in the Premier League for the extra season. They've got a little bit more experience, but you shouldn't be in that position. You know, te- a, an extra man and then still give a penalty away is just silly. Yeah. Um... I, I, I watched the game. I, I didn't see a lot from from either team there. Cardiff, I think, are going to have to rely on grit. Hopefully, rely on some good form at the Cardiff City Stadium. I, I don't see them picking up many points away from home. Um, yeah, it's got to be a real struggle for them this season, Dave. Just before I move on to the next game, just back on Newcastle, as I, as I pointed out, obviously there's real issues between Rafa and the board there. Do you see Rafa still being manager at the end of the season? Uh, I think he'll see out the season, but he'll leave at the end of the season. I'm fairly certain of that, unless something incredible happens where either we sell or Ashley has a change of heart in January. Uh, I just can't see him staying. Part of this summer was that Ashley wouldn't give Rafa the money to spend unless he mm-hmm. signed a new contract, um, and it's like a sort of standoff between the two. Obviously, Rafa's not going to sign a, a contract for a man who's a known liar. Um, and likewise, Ashley doesn't want to give him the money because he doesn't want to Rafa spend money on players who, in a year's time, if Rafa leaves, the new manager probably won't fancy and have to move them on. And we're just, you know, when it's not how Mike Ashley does business. So it's a standoff which is really helping nobody. Uh, and it's only going to end in tears, unfortunately. Yeah, as, a, as a Rangers fan, I can speak from experience along with you that uh, Mike Ashley's not a good guy <laughs> to have around the club. But um, so, yeah, that was the, the, the lunchtime kickoff yesterday. We'll move into the three o'clock games now. First of all, we'll move on to Goodison Park, where Everton followed up uh, what I think most people ended up seeing as a fairly decent draw last week against Molyneux. Uh, against Will, sorry, at Molyneux, with a 2-1 win over Southampton. It was perhaps a little more comfortable than the scoreline suggests. Uh, Theo Walcott opening the scoring, uh, Richarlison then scoring his third in two games uh, before a late uh, Danny Ings, was it, who scored their, their consolation goal? Um, there's, yeah, Ryan, I'll come so. to you first on this one. There's, there's a different feel around Everton at the moment, and I realise it's early days, but it just feels like they've now completely kind of removed themselves of any vestiges of the, the Allardyce uh, era and looks like Marco Silva's got them kind of heading in the right direction. Um, impressed by what you saw from Everton? Yeah, in the, in the game against Southampton, I think they were definitely impressive. It's going to take time with Marco Silva. I think their pre-season proved to be a bit of a washout mm-hmm. for them. Uh, and I have my doubts about Richarlison being worth the money, but at, at the moment he's proven to be yeah. worth every penny of that sort of mm-hmm. 50 million. And I think that's that's where the the optimism potentially is starting to come from. You know, they've got the man that they wanted last season in in Marco Silva, and I think now that he's there and he's able to actually work with those players, and the fact that your 50 million pound signing that, that they were rightfully critics about has come in here and running and he's earning you those points it, it, it must be a big confidence boost to, to not only the other players but to Marcus Silver as well and to the fans uh, Dave Theo Walcott obviously much maligned towards the end of his Arsenal career has, has been pretty decent for Everton so far uh, it seems to have continued that into this season one one shocking miss in the first half aside um, can you see any way considering where the England team's heading at the moment of, of Theo Walcott possibly forcing his sell back into the reckoning now? I wouldn't have said so, uh, purely because of the way, certainly the Southgate set up in the summer, we didn't really have wingers as such we had obviously uh, wingbacks uh, and then sort of Kane and Sterling as a front two I don't think as much as Walcott wants to play as a striker, he obviously isn't doing it at club level still, even after leaving yeah. Arsenal so I'd be very surprised if he made his way back in the England squad. I actually think it might be good for him that Richarlison's gone there for all that money because it takes the spotlight yeah. off him a bit. Uh, and he can, as you saw yesterday, he can get on with it without being scrutinised over his every move. And he obviously got a goal mm-hmm. assist yesterday. So. Um, yeah, Still uh, moving on to Southampton, Dave, I'll stick with you for this. Mark Hughes, I don't think any Southampton fans were particularly inspired when he was announced as a new manager. Um, it really looks like it's going to be a struggle for them this season, doesn't it? It does. Um, 
we think we're talking on this pod maybe last week, week before. Um, they were very close to being relegated last season and haven't really taken many steps to to improve that squad. I mean, I think Ings will help. I think he's a good a good player, um, but he can't do it on his own. I mean, that that midfield seems get rid of Tadic was a bit of a an odd one for me. I thought he was a bit of an X factor for them who could create things against sort of the poorer teams at home. He was quite useful to have around and. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll know better than me, but Stuart Armstrong from Celtic, I, I don't know if he's that good. Uh, um, th- certainly hasn't made much of an impact so yeah, far. Yeah, I, but... I think that that possibly speaks to... I mean, Stuart Armstrong was, was very good for Celtic, but the fact that he only cost £8-9 million, pound, I think, when you know some of the teams around Southampton have been able to spend you know, over double that, you know, we'll come on to Fulham later on, but you look at some of the money they spent on, on midfielders during the, the summer transfer window. Um, it, it looks like Southampton are much like Cardiff are going to have to play with a, sense of, a real sense of pragmatism, uh, especially, as you said, getting rid of Tadic, which I agree with you completely. I think that was a really odd decision. I know they got good money for him, but for me, he was by far and away their, their most creative player. And, um, yeah, it's it, it could be a long season for Southampton fans, unfortunately. Um Let's move on to the third game, uh, Leicester versus Wolves. Wolves, after a, a pretty decent performance last week, and to be fair, a decent performance this week too. It seemed like they got a slight lesson in how Premier League football works in terms of they didn't take their chances in Leicester, who are now obviously an established, solid Premier League uh, side, uh, killed them off, albeit with uh, an own goal and a deflected goal. Um, Ryan, I'll come to you first. Leicester have... Um, Kind of solidified after a, a poor start under Claude Puel. Um, there was talk last week of Puel possibly going, um, which seemed crazy to me. But they'll 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 take comfort from from what I thought was a, a decent, if not fantastic, performance against a, a potentially pretty good Will side. Yeah, uh, I think. To be honest, I, I don't think Puel will, will be there by mm. the end of the season. Personally, I think there's there's too many. The fact that there's rumours and it's only sort of week one or two suggests that there's obviously something going on in the background that people don't want him around full time. But it was a good performance. I think the the Jamie Vardy incident um, for the red card shows that potentially there's something missing in terms of a getting mm-hmm. the job done mentality. Of course, Jamie Vardy coming from a non-league, you know, every commentator. Uh, that sort of spoke about that thing so he's back <laughs> yeah. to his non-league days uh, with a really high tackle and I think that's the thing you, you know you're in a position where the game's fairly comfortable and then you you have someone do something like that and you just think what, what's the what's the yeah. point and it's, well, it, it's beyond the manager to actually say to Vardy you know you definitely shouldn't have done that you know make sure it never yeah. happens again personally I can't see him doing it but that's why they want yeah. someone else um Dave, Wester, do you agree that Puel might not see out the season there? I mean, again, they, they, they're they sending out pretty much the same team as they did last season, didn't spend a huge amount of money. Um, perhaps most importantly for them, were able to hold on to a lot of their, their defenders, which I think will keep them solid at the back. But um, do, do you see this as another season of consolidation, or do you see this possibly being one where they, they, they perhaps head back down the table again? I was amazed that Puel uh, survived the summer. Mm-hmm. I thought he would have gone over the uh, over the course of the summer because the, the the fans turned on them last season. I mean, Newcastle went there. Um, April, I think it was, we won fairly comfortably. Um, and I thought that some of the fans turned on them that day as well. If you look at the amount of money they spent on some of their, some of their squad, it's, it's incredible to think it's not, not good enough to get them mm-hmm. seventh in the league. Um, and obviously they lost Mares, replaced with James Madison, who looks a tidy player. Um, I, I agree with Ryan. I, I don't think Poole will be there much later. Uh, I think they're waiting for an excuse to start, to be quite honest with you, and it probably will come in the next mm-hmm. couple of months. Uh, on the other hand, we've got Wills, who you know, really unusually for a promoted team, are, are being talked about as possible contenders for Europe off the bat. Um, played pretty well last week against Everton. 
or perhaps a little unlucky in this game, you know, hit the woodwork three times, looked like they played really good expansive football, and again just felt like they came up against a more experienced Premier League team. Um, where do you see Wolves' season going based on based on what they've done over the summer and their first couple of games back in the, the Premier League? I think they will be safe from relegation, but I don't think they'll be anywhere near as good as some people have speculated uh, there's a lot of new players there's a lot of players who haven't played in the Premier League before uh, and you made the point there about coming up against sort of an experienced Premier League opposition that's going to happen a lot certainly in the first half of the season uh, you'd like to think Wolves will get more used to that as the season goes on and they've obviously bought in a lot of talented players uh, but I, I don't think it's going to be as easy as just saying oh, we're going to finish in the top half because we've got all these <laughs> Portuguese players or whatever yeah. else they've bought uh, Ryan Wolves uh, have spent a lot of money over the summer as Dave said they brought in some real seasoned professionals albeit ones without Premier League experience but for me uh, probably their most exciting signing of the summer was Adama Traore who um, really lit up the championship last season for Middlesbrough um, boy seems a phenomenal dribbler and, and if he can get some uh, good service on the end of that, then you would imagine that Wolves will score plenty of goals. Um, how do you see this season playing out for for the newly promoted team? I think that the, I think they're going to do really well. Uh, I, I think Europe's a bit of a, a stretch from what people are saying. I think top ten it is definitely more achievable. It's, it's a question of yeah, the players they've got are very very talented and, and very experienced, but they're not experienced in the Premier League, and and as we got shown yesterday the Premier League's a different beast to what mm. they expect. Leicester are very experienced, they know what to do. Wolves were playing their style of football and, and you were right got unlucky. Um, but ultimately could they manage that game in the same way that Leicester did? You know, only time would tell. But they've certainly got a brilliant squad. I mean the fact that Neves is being talked about yeah, but for a potential move to Man City in January for for sixty million suggests that they've got all the right tools and everything to have a good season. I think January will be really important for them, depending on where they are on the table, of course. Uh, but, but it'll be really interesting January because I think that a lot of Premier League clubs will be sort of circling mm-hmm. a couple of their key players. Uh, from one newly promoted side on to another, Fulham visited uh, Spurs at Wembley, one of the last games at Wembley, uh, and came away on the wrong end of a 3-1 defeat. Uh, Lucas Moura scoring a pretty cracking goal to open the scoring. Uh, Alexander Mitrovic then scoring the equaliser in the 52nd minute. They're for but from then on, Tottenham kind of took over. Uh, Kieran Trippier scoring a fantastic free kick to put them 2-1 up. And then Harry Kane finally breaking his August Premier League scoring duck with a goal in the 77th minute. Um, Ryan, I'll come to you first. Fulham are another team who spent a lot of money in the summer to the point where I think people expect them to be fairly safe and perhaps even challenging for top 10. Um, have you seen enough in the first couple of games back in the Premier League to suggest they're they're capable of matching uh, those ambitions? Uh, sort of 50-50. I think they've certainly shown they've got a little bit about them. I think they were slightly unlucky. I think Tottenham played really well, so I think it was a bit of a difficult one. But, I mean, they've only brought in some good players or players with good potential uh, who will definitely need you know, to be playing consistently for a while for it all to sort of sink in. From what I've seen people saying online, it's a case that they've brought so many players in that it's it's difficult to figure out what their first eleven is going to be. And that's never really a position you want to be in uh, for a newly promoted team. It always makes sense to have someone you know, an eleven you can put out every week. Yeah, okay, it'll be tiring, but you haven't got to worry about European games or probably many cup games. I think they've probably got enough about them to, to challenge a little bit, but I, I can't see them matching the same. Yeah, sort of uh, Dave, our, our man in the post colleague, Matt Baldwin, is, is clearly a huge fan of Alexander Mitrovic. Spent half the summer uh, messaging in the WhatsApp group waiting on that deal being being uh, completed and eventually it has done so we got a little bit of everything from Mitrovic I thought in that performance which kind of sums him up a little bit you know he gets into really good positions puts himself about was in the right place for the equaliser which came about you know slightly fortuitously but you had to be there to put it in but also we saw him you know miss kick a few balls and you know miss some some half decent chances um 
how important do you think Mitrovic is going to be to Fulham's chances of you know kind of progressing this season? Well, I mean, he's he's going to be pretty imperative to it. I think um, he's, as you said there, he's, you get a bit of everything from him. He's always involved, not always in a good way, but uh, so far at Fulham, he's largely kept his nose clean, which will help. But he just takes six chances to score one. It's always been the same with him when his time at Newcastle. Uh, it's it's good for to go to somewhere like Fulham, who seem to play to his strengths, seem to appreciate him for who he is, whereas. Rafa inherited him at Newcastle and he was never going to he doesn't play the way Rafa mm. likes his forwards to play uh, so he was always on nothing there really so for his sake it's good that he's gone somewhere who appreciates him for what yeah. he is um, I think I think I said last week I'd be surprised if he got more than 10 or 11 goals I'll probably stand by that but it depends entirely on how long do if their new players bed in well and adapt to the Premier League uh, you know he could he could, he could could beat that but I'd mm. be surprised if he did uh, Ryan Spurs, of course, were in the headlines recently for being the first team since the kind of summer transfer window began not to spend a single penny on bringing a player in. Um, how likely do you think that will turn out to be a mistake, certainly in the first half of the season anyway? I mean, they, they played pretty well yesterday. Harry Kane's always going to get you goals. You know, Lucas Moore has made a fantastic start. But is that lack of strength or depth going to end up playing a role and perhaps cost them a, a Champions League place? I think so. I think when you when you look at the amount of games they could potentially be playing this season, because they've got all the tools to be able to, to compete on on all four potentially, but they've got... The, 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 fact, the fact is, if I'm looking at that squad and I think, right, if Harry Kane gets injured tomorrow for three months, if you have a look at, say, the Man City-Kevin De Bruyne situation, you know, an injury out of nowhere, three months, do they have cover for Harry Kane right now? answer's no, because they haven't strengthened mm-hmm. in that position. I think, yeah, you could say maybe Son can cover, but you, they're different types of players. And, you know, I think it's very good that Harry Kane scored. He got him a few... Few things, uh, you know, he had a few chances that it looked like it potentially wouldn't wasn't going to happen for him again. But I think that you know they're a good side and they've got some very good talented players. I mean, you look at Ericsson and people like that, and you just think this squad's so good. But what if those those key players get injured? Suddenly they're not really the same team. And I think this stadium thing's going to overshadow their season slightly as well because you know not making any signings because you potentially say well we're moving into a new stadium we need to offset some costs. So whatever you know what Daniel Levy's mm-hmm. like but you know there's just a big shadow over them at the moment I think it'll be interesting to see how they get on I think hit a team against like Man City United or people like that, I think it'll be really interesting to see how they, they go on yeah. that one uh, we'll head on to another London club just now West Ham playing our first home game of the season uh, falling to a 2-1 defeat against Bournemouth which I think perhaps some people saw as a surprise particularly considering how much money West Ham themselves spent over the summer. Uh, Marco Arnautovic opening the score for them in the 33rd minute with a penalty, uh, only for Callum Wilson and Steve Cook to, to score the equaliser and the winner in the second half for Bournemouth. Uh, Dave, West Ham brought in Pellegrini, which I think most people agreed was a, was a good appointment. Um, it seemed like they they've bought well in the summer, they're now sitting here haven't won a game in the first two and to be honest haven't really looked particularly good in either game um, should West Ham fans be, be worried at this point of the season? Yes I'd say so what I don't get about the way West Ham was setting up uh, with Pellegrini at Man City he always played two up front and he played basically a 4-4-2 with two sort of sitting deep defensive midfielders and two very attacking wingers to go with the two strikers. Now, if he's going to try that at West Ham, he, he needs defenders who can defend, and he just hasn't got them at the moment. Uh, this this Valbuena who they've brought in uh, didn't see much cop yesterday. I can't profess to have seen him a lot, but he certainly is going to have to adapt very quickly. Uh, obviously, Winston Reid's out injured. Zabaleta's on his last legs. Uh, Masawaki is not a defender, really. He just likes to go forward. So... You see Callum Wilson scoring that goal yesterday where he picks the ball up and it's one against five and won't get anywhere near him. And then the shot kind of goes through Fabianski, who I think is probably a very good goalkeeper but didn't cover himself in glory mm-hmm. in that particular goal. And I just can't see how 
he's going to use the same style he used at Man City with basically inferior players. Because at the moment, it just feels like Zarnautovic against the world. And if he doesn't come up with it, we'll lose. Yeah, uh, Ryan, their kind of big summer signing was, of course, Felipe Anderson, who I think they paid somewhere in the region of £29 million for from, from Lazio. Came with a big reputation. Hasn't quite worked for him so far. A couple of nice flashes of, of link-up play, perhaps with uh, Javier Hernandez. But, uh, yeah, you get the impression that for West Ham uh, to really push on this season, they'll, they'll need him to hit the ground running a little quicker than he has so far. 100% I think you know as as Dave rightly said uh, the or you know if Arnautovic can't deliver then there's a big problem and the fact that you've brought in someone like Felipe Anderson and the, the statement is still if Arnautovic can't deliver the goods something's not right there you know Arnautovic needs that um, he needs that he needs that cover at the end of the day um, it's a sort of similar point that we were talking about with Tottenham a second ago you know you need back up for those positions slash other people that can cover that sort of responsibility and yeah Pellegrini is not manning Man City he hasn't got the same squad he needs to adapt and understand what players he's got available because yeah okay, you, can't, you can't really say much after two games but you know they, they've looked they've not looked great in either of the two games they've had um Quick word on Bournemouth. Um, they've made a decent start. Two wins out of two. Eddie Howe continues to kind of confound critics who expect that you know Bournemouth are, are, are going to struggle off the bat one of these seasons. Um, particularly pleased for Callum Wilson, who, as we know, has, has suffered some pretty horrific injury problems over the last couple of seasons. Uh, starting to show kind of some real potential. Um, and also young David Brooks who they signed from Sheffield United I think it was for 11 million quid boy looks about 14 years old but um, seemed to play <laughs> really well um, what do we think of Bournemouth this season do we think they'll be do, do we think they'll be solid safe or, or do we think this might be a, a season of uh, relegation struggle from what I've seen so far they've got nothing to worry about uh, I think they should really be looking at the top half finish. They've been in the Premier League for was mm-hmm. it three or four seasons now. Um, they've never really been in a great deal of any of them, really. Um, and they've got a good core of players there. They've got, as you say, Wilson and Josh King, a pretty good partnership. You mentioned Brooks there on one side. Actually, Ryan Fraser on the other side has come on leaps and bounds mm-hmm. recently. Um, Seems to have been at the heart of most of their good work this season so far. So they've got plenty of reasons to be optimistic. I, I, it's quite nice in a way that you take someone like Steve Cook, who's been the centre half since they were in probably Division Three, I think, or maybe Division Two, and the fact they've stuck with him all this time and just let him improve as the team's improved and not gone out and actively replaced him. I know they've got Ake to, to partner him, but to have someone like that who's been with the club through thick and thin, I think it's it's, it's a nice message Indeed. to have. Uh, so with that, we'll move on to the evening game yesterday, uh, kind of big game for for two of us here, uh, Chelsea. Eventually seeing off Arsenal 3-2 at Stamford Bridge. Um, Pedro scoring after 9 minutes, Marat after 20, and at that point it looked like it could be a cricket store. Somehow Arsenal pulled it back to 2 each through Mkhitaryan and Iwobi, uh, only for Alonso to score the winner in the 81st minute. Um, Ryan, will come to you first as a Chelsea man. You'll obviously be delighted with the result. Um, are there concerns there, though? Because, I mean, as, as poor as Arsenal were defensively, they still had numerous chances to to arguably put that game out of sight in the first half. Sarri's known for playing a much more kind of open brand of football. Are there concerns defensively at, at Chelsea at the moment? 100%. I think I'm not a massive fan of David Luiz. Uh, at this point any more on her legs I don't think he's got the tactical nuance as well to be able to especially handle it in a two um, he's not too bad in a three because there normally there's someone there that can sort of cover for his mistakes but as part of a two with Rudiger who again I think is probably in the same position good in a three if you have someone there that's a little bit more tactical I think he's okay uh, there's definitely some concerns I mean Arsenal each chance that Bamiyang, Mkhitaryan Awobi all have with the yeah. same chance they got down the wing cut the ball back and weird how Alonso's finish uh, for the third was actually a similar goal to what they'd all been missing in the first half I mean I, I thought going forward Chelsea I, 
to be honest, I was loving it. I was, you know, loving the style of football. We were, you know, ripping Arsenal defence to bits. I thought Bellerin looked shaky at best uh, defensively, but there's definitely some concerns with Chelsea. You've got Christensen on the bench. Maybe there's some fitness issues. Really sure. I think he's definitely got something about him to be able to come in and take maybe Louise's space and ensure that defensive a little bit. A lot's got to be said about Alonso and Aspilicueta. I think the with the fullback obviously get get a lot of freedom yeah. in the formation, um, but they definitely didn't cover as much as I, yeah. I was expecting um, them to. It seems like it could potentially be a much better season for Alvaro Morata this time round. Obviously, he really struggled to establish himself to the point where you know Chelsea went out and bought Olivier Giroud to essentially replace him for the second half of the season. Sarri seems kind of prepared to give him his wings a little bit more and play him, and he seems to be getting rewarded. Yeah, I thought he was he was really good. Uh, he, I think he, he's going to suit more the style that Sarri plays with what yeah. Conte was playing. He was asking to do a lot of work, and I don't think Morata's the type of player that either wants to or has the inclination to to do a lot of work you know he's going to want to stay as man he's going to want to make runs he's going to want to break past people Cause, you know he, he had a lot to do for his goal and he had Mustafi I mean why Mustafi's let him onto mm-hmm. his favoured foot I'll never know but you know to take that chance down break past cut back in and then slide into the net was, was a good finish it was a big confidence boost for him there was obviously a lot I said about Higuain coming in I think Sarri said recently that he, there's a bit of regret that they couldn't get Higuain so he's obviously given Morata a chance. And I think he's, he's going to prove himself. It's going to be a big season for him. He needs to, to do this yeah. every week. Uh, Dave, on the other hand, the th- side of things, we've got Arsenal, who, you know, Unai Emery came in with a real reputation for being much more pragmatic than Wenger, very much setting out a system, being solid, and having, you know, some, some creative players up front to do the business for him. Um, through two games, and to be fair, I mean, it couldn't have been a much more difficult start for Arsenal, you know, Manchester City and... At Chelsea, but I mean they've got they've got real issues at the back, haven't they? Oh, completely. Yeah, um, you can't polish a turd. <laughs> it's what you can really say about likes of Mustafi and Bellerin. Uh, they can't defend. It doesn't matter who's in the dugout. They're not defenders. Not for not for the Premier League. Uh, Bellerin's obviously got lots of pace. Very good going forwards. You can use his pace to recover, but uh, he, it seems like a lot of the goals are coming down his side as well. Uh, obviously, Alonso's winner mm-hmm. yesterday came from his side. Um, he's just all over the place. I mean, having said that, Lacazette didn't cover himself in glory for the goal. One, giving it away, and then two, dangling a leg somewhere near Hazard, who just skipped round him and obviously yeah. played in Alonso. But um, it's going to take time. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure most Arsenal fans will get that. and have to take the rough with a smooth for the probably this season as a, in general. Uh, I'd be very surprised if, if Arsenal get back in the top four this year. Um, maybe after a season of adapting to Emery, it might be a more realistic prospect. But right now, it's, it's a case of him assessing what he's got and trying to find a way to improve it. Yeah. Uh, I think he's quickly realised that Granit Jack is not, not going to be this man for the job. I think he'll be eased out of the team over the coming weeks by the way he's been hauled off in two games so yeah, far. Yeah, and it's, that has arguably been facilitated even more quickly by the by the performances of Glenn Dozy, who looks like a like a real find in that yes. midfield. Um, I, I think it will take three or four transfer windows for, for Emery to get this right. I, I do wonder, I think there's concerns there for Arsenal fans as to the, the relationship between him and the, the director of football, uh, Millenstadt, who they got from, from Borussia Dortmund. Some of these signings, Bernd Leno, you know, you, who was signed despite having one of the worst goalkeeping records in the Bundesliga last season. Um, some of the other players that you wonder why they're buying so many strikers when they can't play them all in the one team. And uh, yeah, Arsenal, I think fans are just going to have to be patient on this one because I think it's going to take them a while and they might have to get used to, to Europa League football for another couple of seasons. Um, so yeah, that co- covers Saturday. We'll move quickly on to Sunday. Uh, the lunchtime game saw Burnley go down 3-1 to Watford uh, at home, which was perhaps a big surprise. Uh, Tarkovsky giving Burnley the only lead there in six minutes. Oh no, sorry, Gray scored first for Watford, but Tarkovsky equalised. And then 
two goals in the second half from Troy Deeney and from Hughes gave Watford um, the win. Um, Dave, I'll come to you first. Watford, I think, were, were a team that many expected would, would struggle this season, myself included. I think I may have had them as the, the kind of third relegated team. Um, is this sustainable for them, or, or do we expect that soon they'll revert to type and they, they might face a long season ahead of them? Well, what I was really surprised there was when the stat came up that their goal today was their first away goal under this manager. So it was the first, their first away goal since mm-hmm. January, I think they said, which, which is ridiculous, really, when, when you think about it. Um, I was with you, to be honest. I thought they would maybe not get relegated, but certainly be bottom five or six. But they've, they've started really well. Uh, and I don't know how much of the day will be down to Burnley. We've seen before with... English teams who maybe aren't used to playing in Europe, they really struggle yeah. with the Thursday-Sunday thing. Um, and they change a lot of their team on Thursday. But it's all about preparation and things. You don't have that long on the training ground to, to prepare between Thursday and Sunday, um, especially when I mean, they went extra time on Thursday night as well. So whether that was a factor or not, I don't know. It's probably been unfair on Watford, who I've, I've not seen the game, I have to say it all. So I, I assume they played pretty well to, to go to Turf Moor and win 3-1. But... Uh, as well, it's not very often you see four English scorers in one game. Yeah, absolutely. I think they said that was the first time they did three English scorers in a game since I think Watford were actually the last team to do it, and it was something like ten years ago. So that's been uh, that's a good advert for for English football, perhaps that one. Um, Ryan, yeah, disappointing result for Burnley. Burnley having to juggle in the, the early stage of the season, certainly European football and uh, and Premier League football. Teams who are qualifying for Europe for the first time really do seem to find this a struggle, don't they? They do. I think it's also got to be said that I don't think they prepared for it brilliantly. Um, you know, they haven't exactly gone out and, and bought quite a few players to, mm-hmm. to be good backup or for, for rotation. You know, th- th- Thursday, Sunday, very weird schedule, schedules to have and... You know, as much as you say, oh, it's the same as if it's a Wednesday to a Saturday game, whatever, it's, it is a little bit different. And when you've got a team that's only used to playing once a week to suddenly twice a week, and you've, you've not got, say, one and a half squads to rotate through, it, it suddenly becomes a little bit more difficult. And, you know, anything like the extra times, you know, extra travel, you know, there's quite a few things and factors that, that play into this. And I think they're going to have a difficult season, you know, especially if they they get through they get in there and you know especially when they get into the group stages I think they're going to really struggle this season in the Premier League uh, we'll move from then on to the, the last two games of the the weekend obviously Liverpool play tomorrow um, and it's the two Manchester clubs very different fortunes here um, we'll kick off of course with the defending champions Manchester City thrashing Huddersfield 6-1 um Nice easy win for them. Sergio Aguero scoring a hat trick. Also goals from Gabriel Jesus, David Silva, and an own goal from Congolo. Uh, Huddersfield getting a goal through Stankovic. Um, I appreciate, Dave, that this is only. Uh, I say only, I mean, this not quite as disrespectful as I probably just said it. Huddersfield, and they will, pl- they will obviously play much tougher teams this season, but Man City very much again setting the marker that they will be the team to beat. It's actually quite scary watching Man City. As a as a Newcastle fan, no one obviously we watched Huddersfield get beat today. That could be us in two weeks' time. Like I, I I can't see us living with that kind of attacking play. I mean it obviously helps when your goalkeeper's semi competent, which I don't think Huddersfield's really was today, but um you know, it could have been absolutely any score. Uh I think uh, Man City are going to take some beating. I'd be very surprised if they don't retain the title from what we've seen from just two weeks. But people say, oh, they're going to miss De Bruyne and things. But you look at David Silva, it's, it's not bad. <laughs> they've got bad options yeah. in there. It's not like they're, they're going to have to play some sort of some sort of lone E in there or anything like that. They've got plenty of talent to, to fill his boots for a couple of months. I don't, I don't think they'll be too hard to Yeah, Brian, uh, that's, uh, again, as, as Dave pointed out, you know, this was the first game without Kevin De Bruyne. I think the the reaction, De Bruyne's obviously been fantastic for, you know, the last 18 months at least now, but I felt like the, the reaction from the press was perhaps a little over the top, especially considering some of the options that City have got available to them in the midfield. Um... How do you see this as a marker for how the, the season progresses without KDB? 
you know, it's, a, it's obviously a big statement to, to go and beat it again. Only Huddersfield, and it's not too, too not trying to be too disrespectful, but you know they've not had a, a brilliant mm-hmm. start. Let's say that, um, and I think it's a huge statement to, to play a team without effectively a star player. But when you've still got Aguero, Hayton, people like that, as they said, you know, it's it's silly to think that they're going to crumble massively. I think maybe in a couple of games when sort of potentially the ration comes in and the Champions League kicks into gear, I think we might see a little bit of a change potentially um, based on not having him around. But apart from that, I mean, they're, they're looking they're looking really scary, not just, say, you know, day from a Newcastle point of view, but for the entire league. Um, we saw them play brilliantly against us in the Community Shield and it is, it's worrying how good they are considering, you know, they, they didn't get their key target on Jorginho. You know, uh, yes, they got Mares, but the fact that they've gone out and they've gone, you know, what we only we only need a couple of players because we're still this good, and Guardiola has obviously drilled that into them, and Aguero is still as good as ever. And the, the fact that Aguero, you know, there was always that that thing around him how Guardiola didn't like him yet he just continues to score and getting to be in the team and just be a fantastic striker is just. So yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm somewhat glad actually as an Arsenal fan that we got to play them first game of the season before they really hit the ground <laughs> running. So that's uh, that. Don't get me wrong, that still means we've got to play them much later on when they'll probably be even better. But still, um, quick word on Huddersfield. It's going to be a struggle for them this season. I think most people would agree. They've surprised a lot of people last season. You know, they pressed them really high, played a good attacking game. That worked for them at home. You wonder if that's going to work as well this season, where your teams will kind of have figured them out a bit. Um, Dave, will come to you in this one. Huddersfield, where do you where do you think their season will will see them end up? Uh, I think they'll go down. Uh, it, it happens quite often. You get a team who really drop off towards the end of a season, and then they struggle to pick their form up again at the start of the next season. It doesn't help them all really that they've drawn the first two games obviously being Chelsea and Man City which is which is rough by anyone's standards but they just you look at them and you just don't there's nothing about them there's nothing you think oh, I want to see them play today because they've got whoever they can't see them ever going to, and winning a game comfortably if they ever win mm-hmm. they're the odd goal uh, and as I've seen today I mean I think I, I was listening to the build up where Wagner had decided that because he didn't know how Man City were going to play, they was going to wait and see what Man City lined up with and then mm-hmm. make a plan. It seems like an extraordinary <laughs> way to approach a game against a team like that, considering they played them at the end of last season and got a nil-nil draw. Why didn't they just have a, a, like a similar setup to that and go from there? It just seemed like a very strange Indeed. way of going about. Uh, could be a long season ahead for Huddersfield. Um, as if Man City's weekend couldn't get any better, we then had the last game of the weekend, uh, which saw Man United fall, and I, I think probably the biggest shock that we've seen in the, the early stages of the season, 3-2 uh, to Brighton at the Amex Stadium. Um, Brighton battled Man United in the first half, 3-1 up. Thanks to goals from Murray, Duffy and a gross penalty. Uh, Lukaku scored in the 34th minute to give them some hope. And then Paul Pogba scored the penalty deep in injury time to, to make the score a little more respectable. Um, Dave, I'll come to you first on this one. Um, United seem like an absolute mess at the moment. Uh, people have pointed out the fact that you know United finished second last season. Yes, they finished a long way behind um, City. But they actually finished with as many points as Leicester did the season they won the league. Um, I don't think it changes the fact that Mourinho seems to me a very different manager than he was from his first spell in England with Chelsea. Uh, it seems to me like that almost like the the spark has gone out from Mourinho. Um, how do you see? this ending up does Mourinho see out the third season and leave did the Glazers lose patience and uh, kind of kick him out early or does Mourinho somehow turn this around and make it a success I think it'll depend on where they are around maybe even as soon as November December uh, I, if I, I think he'll walk away rather than be mm-hmm. sacked because that's what he does uh, when he's not getting things all his own way he'll call time on his on it. Well, he'll decide when he leaves basically um, I think he's 
he wanted to send a half in the summer, and you can see why under De Schoen, like they, they desperately need someone better than what they've got if they want to try and get anywhere near Man City. Uh, and obviously he didn't get it, which I don't know why that was. But you made the point of he's not the same as he was when he was at Chelsea. At Ch- Chelsea, he was the main man, and all the players danced his tune. At Man United, I, I don't get that feeling at all. I feel in many ways Pogba's the obvious example. Some of the players are, mm-hmm. are bigger than he is. Um, and that's not a good way for a club to have a structure. Uh, and I think, I think if you asked Mourinho honestly, he would probably be, we probably would have been happy to sell Pogba in the summer had he had obviously time to get a rest in and spend that money on whatever yeah. else he needed. Because I do, I'm not saying he's the entire problem, but I, I think there's something going on there where Pogba is more of an influence on the dressing yeah. room than Mourinho. Uh, Ryan, yeah, I was actually just got to come on to, to the whole Mourinho Pogba situation. I'm personal for the opinion, and don't get me wrong, I don't think that Pogba's covered himself in any glory throughout this whole thing, but I'm of the opinion that Mourinho's probably going to leave at the end of this season anyway. You hold on to Pogba and hope that he flourishes under the next manager. We know what he's capable of. We saw flashes of it in the World Cup. We saw it season after season after season at Juventus. Who do you think eventually wins this battle? Do you still see Paul Pogba as a Man United player after the end of the transfer window? Yeah, I think. Well, the thing is, Mourinho has obviously proven in the past that the third season is usually his slump and then leave season one way or another. And, you know, off the basis of today, he looked like a dejected man on the touchline. And the fact that obviously there's still all these stories about how him and Paul Pogba have had this massive falling out. Mourinho's told Pogba to hand in a request if he wants to leave. And all this, obviously, potential media sort of hyperbolic stuff about him leaving whatever it's the fact that there's all this cloud around Man United right now and the the negative feeling about Manchester United you know the Manchester United fans are today you know furious with the fact that you're 3-1 down to someone like Brian you bring on Marlon <laughs> Fellaini to play long balls and I think Manchester United the board and the Glaciers or whatever I think if you had a choice you know, this is an, an open question to people. Really, it's like if you had a choice to either keep Paul Pogba, you know, your most expensive, one of your most expensive players, or Jose Mourinho, who, who usually leaves after a mm. third season anyway. You know, who, who are you really going to pick? You're going to pick Paul Pogba, in my eyes. I think it would make sense to keep him. Yeah, okay, there's the clubs after him, but he, he's a very, very good player. And I just don't know whether he's, he doesn't suit the tactics or what. Something's obviously not right because he's not able to deliver week in, week out. And he has probably got a lot of influence on the dressing room. You know, the whole Agent P thing last yeah. summer and, and how he's actually influencing players coming in <laughs> before the Mourinho has even yeah. spoken to a whole lot. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be a difficult season, but I'd, I'd like to think Pogba will stay longer yeah. than Mourinho. Uh, it would be remiss if we didn't mention Brighton, who, who were exceptional at points today um, it does partly play into the problems at United I think where Brighton you know didn't perhaps give United the respect or over respect more to the point that they may have done in previous seasons um, does this point to a brighter season for Brighton no pun intended or do you think this is kind of just Brighton being able to take advantage of a, of a bad situation at another club Uh, well, Brighton, uh, kind of, you, you know what you're going to get from Brighton. Um, they were very good today, you're right, you're right but uh, they're just, they work hard, they all work for the manager, they're a great unit. Uh, I think last season was probably as good as you're going to get from them, I'd be surprised if they, if they mm-hmm. go any higher. Um, I still, part of me thinks they might struggle a bit, obviously it's hard to say that on the back of today, but I think Man United were very poor today, I'm not sure though. It's different when you're playing against a team who you're on the telly against one of the big six and you're up your game and you you know it all comes together. But it's the weeks when when that doesn't happen, like last week at Watford, where I don't think they managed mm-hmm. to shot on target. I, I'm not sure they're really that good. Uh, I just think they had a very good yeah. day today. Uh, so that has been the weekend in the Premier League. Uh, one game left to go tomorrow evening: Crystal Palace against Liverpool. Uh, quick predictions for that one, guys. Liverpool, obviously, you know, have been pretty irresistible going forward at points, but Palace look like they've got a really kind of solid team mentality there, and Roy Hodgson. So, how do we both see that one going? 
I think Liverpool. I think Liverpool will win. I think Crystal Palace will give them a good game. Dave. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good assessment. I think Palace were a funny one where they obviously started last season terribly. Hodgson came in, got them to a point where they were pretty good. To be honest, they got up to about 11th, I think it was in the end, and then they've, they've not really strengthened that much. So, you know what you're going to get from them? They'll play on the counter. They've got quick, they've got quick players up the top end of the pitch. Um, but I think that might blow those hands at times if they get them get ahead of themselves. And you always back Liverpool mm-hmm. to score. Uh, I think both, both teams to score seem like a good bet tomorrow night. But uh, that's why we love the, the Premier League. Don't we? <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, and that's it for another episode of Man in the Post Weekend Review. Uh, my thanks to Ryan and Dave. Thanks. Um, if people are looking much. to catch up with you on social media to kind of talk through anything about football or otherwise, where can they, where can they find you both? You can go first, Ryan. Oh, that's, as I say, it's that awkward thing where it's just like, <laughs> well, you can go first. Uh, I'm, I'm at the Ryan Goodman on Twitter. And Dave? Uh, uh, and I'm uh, at CM9798. And you won't find me on Twitter at the moment. I've decided to take a stand and cut myself off for a while. It won't last because I'm addicted to the website and I know that. So anybody who's listening to this who knows me, shut up. Um, but that has been <laughs> another episode of the Man the Post Weekend Review podcast. My thanks again to Ryan and Dave. Uh, you can catch us next Sunday when I believe Ross might be hosting this one. But that's it for this weekend. And as always, remember to keep a man on the post. <laughs>